Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to need it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? Welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Pod. Owen here alongside the self-styled grammar guys, Ken and Murph. Hey, Owen. Yes, they actually called themselves that on Friday's podcast, and I'm all for it. I just want to, can I join the no, grammar you're, no, club? You I'm not a grammar guy. No, no. Am I a football man? What am I? I need to be something. I'm closer to a grammar guy than I a football tru- man, let's I wouldn't be trust my life to you over an apostrophe, Owen, is what I'm saying. <laughs> if my life depended Gosh. on it, no, I'm... No, Listen. I'm big on apostrophes. I'm as are annoyed you? as you are when you... You know, often outside cafe... I don't mean to say the coffee shop you owners do, of this yeah. world have grammatical issues, but a lot of you, you often yeah. see these boards with just a, an extraneous apostrophe there. Yeah, There's no need yeah. for it. It doesn't yeah. fit. It shouldn't be there. Yeah. So I'm as annoyed by that as you. Can I now be in the Grammar Guys group? Mm, Is it no. Grammar Guys with a Z? Are you guys the cool Grammar Guys? <laughs> the way Ken said it, guys? the way Ken said it, it definitely sounded like it was a Z. Yeah, had to be. I'd like to introduce a new device to the show today to properly represent your wildly oscillating predictions, Ken, oh, for where Newcastle will finish this season. Before the season started, Newcastle were nowhere near the top four in your head. After their opening day trouncing of Villa, they were title contenders all of a sudden. And then defeat by Man City had you immediately doubting that notion. Mm-hmm. So before we get your considered thoughts on events at St. James's Park yesterday, I need to know how the result of the match affects our howometer. It's my new device today, Ken. Howometer. The howometer oh, swings yeah. all the way to the top. That means they're going is for this, the title. Is this... Eddie Howe or Huey Huey the, the lads. lads that's that's what I was going it's for both. it's both it's actually both well nowadays wow. yeah okay. it was more so which, which one was it originally Eddie Howe Eddie Howe yeah. oh, okay good okay. so if it's swinging all the way to the top it means they're going for the title let's fucking get it all the way to the bottom means they're not even making it into the top four let's fucking get it Sorry, I forgot about the third Boeing there. Okay. After yesterday, Ken, what is your predicted finish for Newcastle in the league this season? In other words, how are good or how are bad? Title challengers or outside the top four? 
the title challenge talk has faded. That's gone. Uh, it's faded somewhat, but you know, the, the, there was there was two big tests. They had the opportunity win those, and suddenly we're born. But unfortunately, <laughs> they 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 in fact lost both of them. Top four still alive or dead? Still alive. All right, well, then I think we've got a... We need another sound effect for the Howometer because that's neither good nor bad. Have you got something for in-between, side? Maybe still in contention for top four? Let's fucking get it. So what do we reckon? The Howometer... That, that doesn't sound like it qualifying for the Champions League. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, qualifying for the Champions I League. Let's fucking get it. I'm going to say that's actually qualifying for the Champions League now because mm. we know the title has gone and I do want this to be a weekly occurrence the Howometer Murph you're in yeah, or maybe just after really significant Newcastle results I think yeah. <laughs> I think maybe w- once a month would probably be fine you know I think the Howometer once a month I'll keep the, the pot boiling Dion you know? Fanning and John I'd just Bruin. be afraid that p- people would get too fond of it and then would get sick of if, it by Christmas you or know too I mean? fond of it and then if you miss one they'd be like what happened to the Howometer yeah, yeah 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 you don't want it to be too popular like that's definitely going to be the problem with that particular yeah too popular Dion yeah. <laughs> Fanning and John Bruin on the podcast today for all our football coverage during the week you'll want to be a World Service member on secondcaptains.com for five or a month plus fat well before we get to the um, the astonishing events at St. James's Park we should uh, uh, briefly mention the latest astonishing events and the the hunt of uh, Luis Rubiales, the assassination of Luis Rubiales. By False the, feminism. By the False coward feminists, Spain. <laughs> um, your podcast was amazing on Friday, by the way. It, at, at the start of it, you're introducing it as though he is stepping in the process of stepping down. The successor had been named when we were when we had started. And then recording. by the time you're throwing to the contributor, it's like, oh no, actually, actually he's, he's, he's not leaving. Yeah. So yeah, it was, and, and he was like. I'm not going to resign. 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 <laughs> and, and it was like, this is absolutely incredible. I mean, obviously he had, he had planned it. It was like a wrestling type of event. Yeah. You know, it was like, it, you know, I'll, I'll hit them with this. You know, this will be the last thing they expect. You know, having kind of leaked, uh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to fall on my sword or whatever. But obviously he just whipped the sword out and started whirling it around. And... Um, well, the latest development that's happened um, today uh, is that Angeles Bejar, who is the mother of Luis Rubiales, um, according to Spanish media reports, has shut herself inside the Church of the Divine Shepherdess in Rubiales' hometown of Montreal, Andalusia, on Monday uh, and is on hunger strike. Okay. She says her protest will continue until the inhuman, bloodthirsty witch hunt which my son is being subjected to has come to an end. Now, this is a perfectly normal story. <laughs> is he going to let his mother starve? You know, that's the question now. Because this guy, there's, he, he likes the job and he wants to keep the job. But is he prepared to let his mother waste away on hunger strike? I have a feeling, I feel, I know we're obviously very different types of guys, but if it was me in this position, I would probably, certainly I would try to talk my mother out of this. And if she was insisting that she was going to do it, I actually might step down from the job. You would like mm. to think we I might. I, I might say, look, decision. you know, I, I love the job. Mm. I, love the, I love the federation. I feel Tell I've me. done great work. But at the same time, I don't want to yeah. stand over this. Tell me again how much my wage is. 675 grand plus point, apparently 0.15% revenue share <laughs> of the, the association. Which how is, old which is, is my mom again? <laughs> 
<laughs> You've had a good innings. It's great that you're, uh, you know, with these with these uh, declining years, have chosen to at last do something really, you know, to go out and uh, doing something really useful. <laughs> Uh, to stand up for a, a worthy cause, you yeah. know, what, what more can any of us ask for? All, from all I was doing, I just needed, I just needed some of the basic facts to be restated before I can make my decision. That's all. <laughs> I mean, there was there was a few things that happened over the weekend, uh, including like the Spanish FA publishing a VAR style review of a frame by a frame by frame analysis of how uh, Jenny Hermoso was actually lying and had uh, had in fact um, swept Luis Rubiales off his feet. Um, uh, they were, you know, there have been threats issued, uh, calling her a liar, saying they're going to sue her. FIFA have suspended him. You know, I mean, everyone, I'm sure, has heard these uh, stories now because it has been pretty much the biggest sports story. With so many developments every day. Yeah, That's I mean, I, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just amazing. It's like, how, how much more ridiculous can this get? Like we now have an old woman on hunger strike. <sighs> I I don't I'd say like we we must be approaching the climax of this story. We, we must be within sight of the end. But I would have said that last week, Completely. and a lot of stuff happened after that. So, um, so we will see. Uh, it's incredibly long, grim. How long he manages to cling to cling on in there? I think he's going to keep clinging. Um, but uh, maybe he's going to be uh, forced out at some point. Maybe some of his own guys are going to end up turning on him. Maybe the Spanish men's team is going to say, "We don't call us up either." Yeah, and they're playing. Yeah. Spain are playing some qualifiers. Um, one player has already done that. Oh, uh, more than one: Borja Iglesias, uh, Isco, and one other Betis player. I think so. Three players in total, but these aren't like mm. mainstays of the team. You know, we haven't we haven't had any situation with them as has already happened with the women's team, where like eighty players, including all of the twenty three at the World Cup. Um, said they're not going to be, yeah. you know, like the, the the coaching staff also resigned. So there's 11 coaches uh, and and sort of technical staff resigned, and the players are all on strike, and it's just Jorge Vilda there going, you know, could we all settle down long enough for me to sign this new contract that he's offered me? Yeah. Because that's a lot of money, two million euros over four years. Who so knows? This this story could have that's life changing. He could have stepped down by the time we actually finished this report on sport. The way this thing goes. Yeah, generational wealth. Uh, well, at least his generation. Uh, could be secured. So anyway, where are we? Um, it was the biggest sports story in Europe right up until the moment when Darwin Nunez stepped onto the field at St. James's Park and proceeded to just give of his essence. Yeah. You know, I mean, he just, there was so many things that he, that happened. Well, not that many things. I mean, you can literally enumerate them. He, first of all, uh, ran onto a, a ball over the top by Harvey Elliott which looked like he's, he's in a great position. As we know now, his favorite position for which to finish, miscontrol the ball backwards in a similar way, as I think Drury noted in the commentary, to the way that he did last season when he actually scored against him because he kind of controlled a, a ball that was dropping over his shoulder back into himself. This time it fell nicely for him to hit. The, but the uh, yeah, uh, yesterday, he controlled it back behind himself, had to turn around, lost the ball, end of attack. There was then a moment when Joe, Joe Linton went down and Darwin, who, who's got a throw, 
Uh, Jillington's down, and, he, and it looks like he's try, He's gonna. I'm gonna need some treatment here. We're gonna need to hold this, hold this up. Darwin just starts pulling him to his feet, <laughs> and you're like, I, I like what Darwin is trying to do here to get the game going. But he could just go and take this throw as well. <laughs> that would be another thing. He did that. Um, the the when he when he had actually miscontrolled the ball, Newcastle ran right up the other end and nearly scored. That was the the Harvey Barnes, Callum Wilson chance. Uh, and then his next involvement in the game was uh, a ball played out, Alexander-Arnold, uh, Salah, Jota, and then this like miracle happens of Botman, like the, one of the most solid defenders in the league, just somehow manages to kind of contrive to actually flick the ball on for Darwin, uh, who runs on and absolutely letters it in. Like It was just, it was amazing. Because you've seen so many times with, with you know him in similar sorts of positions or better positions, shanking the ball across goal or just you know trying maybe will I try a chip and just you know puts it in the keeper's hands, just absolutely smacked it in off the post, and I mean it was one of the most amazing, it, it was one of the most amazing outcomes I've ever seen in a Premier League game. Did it come from behind win? The, the or whole just the way it was done because cer- it was Darren Nunes with a double. Well, the, the the spectacular nature of the goals by Nunes, the the near identical nature of the goals, you know, in the sense, the, the second one was a little more bit more a, subtlety in the second yeah, one. The, the second one was like chipped up a little higher. First one, he just absolutely yeah. powers it and it goes exactly where he wants it. The second one, it was like quite a deliberate finish from a player who's feeling now confident. He's like, this is going to be easy. Uh, you know, I'm going to make this look easy now, although it wasn't an easy chance. Um, but considering this, the circumstances of the game, what it ha- what, where it was after half an hour, with not only Virgil van Dijk sent off, but Trent Alexander-Arnold having his worst ever game, you know, like it, just having a full-on meltdown. I mean, even even deep into the second half, he was on like two-thirds pass completion. Trent, I mean insane numbers for him you know it's like how is he you think there was a bit of relief in Trent Trent Alexander-Arnold's celebrations after winning a late corner yeah (laughs) I I think I think that was only a throw it was a throw it was (laughs) a a corner would have been really up to high down (laughs) the shirt would have been ripped off but you know he 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 was rattled from like the first couple of minutes obviously there was this whole drama with the sending off he should have been sent off you know given that the referee had booked him he then had to send him off. There were a few complaints from Liverpool fans over the initial booking because while by the letter of the law it was the correct decision, he was actually had been shoved over in the first place. Completely. So so this was the only aggression that we saw from Newcastle in the game was the literal aggression of pushing, barging, shouldering and kicking people after the ball is gone. It was like some of the stuff that, that Joe Linton in particular was getting away with. I I couldn't believe. I'm like, can you not see what's happening? Every time he arrives just after the pass and kicks the guy who's passed it. Mm-hmm. This is, what, is the referee ever going to do something about this? But that it was Gordon right from the start showing that kind of, this is, this is the kind of edge that Eddie Howe wants the team to play with. You know, it's like, we're not going to be pushed around. We're actually, we're going to do the pushing. We do the pushing around here. And he just pushed Alexander. You saw how far he slid off. Like he slid nearly off the pitch onto like the you know the. Oh, he he went off the grass onto the astroturf, and then he's like, he's <laughs> lying on. It was his one back. of those ones. If it was Old Trafford, he's possibly he's, in broken leg territory. Yeah, he's there. down he that down trench that poof, yeah. and into the um, into the ad boards. Uh, then he throws the ball back, and okay, this is but this is a booking. Now clearly, 
it should be a foul. It's a it's a really blatant foul. He's he slid he slid like eight or nine meters off the pitch. This is ridiculous. But this is this is PGMOL. It's like the foul is fine. We want to encourage that. But the descent, that's what we must uh, clamp down on. So he gets a booking for that. And then a minute later, this is a clear yellow card. Oh, yeah. And then the referee just balled it. Like, I mean, balled, I say, I say. But like, the referee obviously thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to send him off for like three quarters of a foul inside seven minutes. Right? Because the foul itself, it's, you know, he, it's like he grabs for Gordon's shoulder you know, Gordon goes down pretty easy. It's not like big, but like it's the circumstances. It's it wasn't violent, but it was foul. totally cynical. Yeah, it was as professional foul. foul as it gets. And, and he just, he literally just shrank from, oh no, I, can't, I, I actually can't do this. They had a guy sent off last week, but the card was rescinded. You know, if I send him off now after seven minutes and he just decided, I'm, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. You know, I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. So, come, and, and you saw how angry Newcastle were. Common been, sense, Ken. They've been robbed. Two words that aren't in the the, the, the rule book, but they're nevertheless key to solid refereeing. Well, this common the, sense. But the common sense then was still came into play because there was then an actual red card. I mean, first of all, Alexander Arnold then produces this appalling, like, miscontrol, just, you know, ball back from Salah, just lets it run under his foot. Oh, no, Gordon's in. Gordon finishes it brilliantly. Um, and you know this is huge because this game has turned into such a grudge game because it's that it's that like uh, it's not just to do with specific incidents and you know uh, with specific like say all the, all the complaining Liverpool did about Newcastle's time wasting for example and then they scored a late goal this is last season it's uh, you know it's not to do with all of these you know Newcastle kind of felt hard done by with the Eddie Pope not Eddie Eddie Pope um, Nick Pope. Yes, Nick Pope. Uh, Nick Pope. Uh, he got sent off in the first half last season for this. Okay, it was you know handling, but it was it was a deeply frustrating result at the time. Um, but it's really to do with the with the big picture of what's happening between the clubs. You know, with Newcastle are are really trying to surpass Liverpool. Liverpool are, are crying about how this is unfair, and you know they've got all this Saudi money, and this is bullshit. Um, so it's 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 all produced this like fairly poisonous, mm-hmm. and also the fact that that Newcastle haven't beaten them in eight eight years, you know. So they, so they keep losing in these heartbreaking ways. Mm-hmm. So they're they're one nil up, everything's going great, and then a couple of minutes later, another ball through again. Gordon, who's having a great game, and Van Dijk just clubs Isaac to the ground. You're not gonna be going. Did he get the ball there? Because you saw the ball go. Referee immediately is over in red card. Now I think he read. I think the red card there is the payback for letting off Alexander-Arnold earlier. I think he would often give a yellow card for that because Van Dijk is going for the ball, misses it very narrowly. It's not like, that's not the type of foul that like the denial of goal-scoring opportunity automatic red is brought in for. I can see him giving a yellow card for this in a normal circumstance. Mm, I think it's a pretty clear red. But I would like to know if it was reversed and if Trent had gotten the red, would he have then just gone for the yellow because at that stage you're talking about sending a second Liverpool player yeah. off mm. in the first half which would just feel like absolute common sense. carnage yeah. so common maybe sense it would dictate but, but I, didn't, I didn't understand Jamie, Re- Jamie Carragher's argument at half time how do we know if it's going to be a goal scoring well, opportunity well I, I think his argument is based on the fact that Isaac hasn't even touched the ball like he's not in control of the ball so 
uh, you know, it, like the Bulls. You don't play. have to be though. You don't have to be. You don't have to take it an, a minimum amount of touches for it to be a goal scoring opportunity. Mm. I think he's in control of the of the football situation there. Yeah, Ken. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I don't think the recovering defenders. I, I don't think there was. I don't think the goalkeeper is going to be out quick enough. Uh, Carragher's point just. By going by Carragher's logic, you'd never send anyone off in a situation like that because you can't 100% categorically say, was he going to go in and score a goal mm. yeah. by looking into the future? Uh, I think that was a, that was an arguable one, but I don't think it's going to be rescinded, put it that way. I mean, that's like, no. it's you know, it's a, it's a fairly strong case there. But I do, I do feel as though it was like, right, I'm definitely... This is not going to be one of those where I where I say mm, Virgil, that one's a, that's a bit on the line there, mate. You know, this is a don't do that, don't do it again. You know, because if you've done that, then you know. So this, so it's all there for Newcastle, and they then proceed to completely squander this situation. I mean, there was only one really uh, time when they came uh, very close was Almiron shot, which which Allison saved. Um, Almiron then hit the post late on. Can you remember anything else? That was an unbelievable save, by the way. It wasn't. It was downplayed a little bit. I felt in commentary the Allison save yeah. on Amaron. It was such a powerful shot. It's one of those ones where you get a hand to, and you almost always see it just hit the fingers of the goalkeeper and go through anyway. Yeah, but he got a powerful enough hand on it. I thought it was extraordinary. It was it was a great save. So it obviously kept him alive. But I've, I think that the real keeping alive of <laughs> Liverpool was was Eddie Howe sitting uh, at their bedside keeping vigil. <laughs> you know, can I? Can I get them through to full time? You know, but that's not because you think, okay, what, what's he do? They're down to 10. Like they've lost their top defender. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold is is all over the place and could get sent. The, the next foul he commits, he's off, right? We all know this. And like Gordon is, Gordon clearly has the beating of him. Weren't say. they already warming up Gomez even before Van Dyke was sent yes. off? Because they were concerned about Trent getting sent off. So... It's all there, and it's it's all. It, this is it. Like the the hour of justice has come. Like the hour of of justice, <laughs> the hour of revenge is here. And this we're all we're very much going to enjoy the next hour of play, watching Newcastle win this game five 0 That was, and it just I that's think, not how it turned out. I think Eddie flubbed it. I think Eddie really flubbed it. Mm. He how, said, "How so, though? How so?" The plan was to get the second goal. He said, "Well, you should have told them because mm. the." What what do you, what do you do? You increase the tempo. You increase. You use the crowd. You you absolutely force the, like pin them back and just batter them. This is what has to happen. And instead, it was this kind of careful, like oh, you know, we'll just keep the ball. You know, the first ten minutes of the second half, all Newcastle did was pass the ball around in front of Liverpool. You know, it's like oh, you know, you're a man down. You can't really press. You know, time is running out slowly, but it is mm. ineluctably running out in our favour. Uh, passing the ball, you know, defenders passing the ball, ball into midfield, ball back to the defenders. You know, there was there was no effort to really force this issue. They're one up. And the whole place is getting quieter and quieter and quieter. Then Eddie Howe whips off Anthony uh, Gordon. It was, it was 20 minutes to go. He takes off, go, why are you taking him off? You know, this is like Gordon in particular. Was Gordon not a, released by Liverpool at one point? You know, he's like, this is... He's in Everton. Well, I mean, he kind of fell out with Everton as well. But like, he's he's having a good day. Yeah, Don't that's the key point. This is not mm. the guy to to take off. I thought the whole approach was was bad. Was was overly cautious, overly cagey. Let Liverpool back into it. And Let's Liverpool, fucking get it. Well, you know, that's they needed to do. <laughs> they needed more of Wait, that. The third point. Yeah, I mean, you're also kind of left wondering. Okay, are they are they maybe just yeah. not like you know. Joe Linton, I was talking about his kind of aggressive play. 
there wasn't a lot of quality from him. You know, you're kind of like, okay, you've you've improved a lot, but are you good enough? He had a he had an opportunity at one stage. I think it was in the first half, and missed it. And you're like, well, of course he missed it. He's a defensive midfielder. Mm. And it was a really tame shot into the goalkeeper's hands. Forgetting that he was bought as, <laughs> as he, centre forward. The, the centre forward, the goal scoring hope. And it was just such a disaster in there in that position that yeah. he ended up being moved back to great effect. Yeah, I, I wonder are they going to have to go for somebody else? I mean, the other, the other, the other thing I've seen... Uh, he is good though. Joe Linton is good generally speaking in there. Yeah. At a level. You don't sound convinced. I, I don't At know a if, level. Is he... Is he good enough to be? Uh, I mean, Bruno also played very badly. Bruno gave the ball away for the for the second goal. It was one of his his worst performances for Newcastle. I do think that Bruno is very good, though. You know, I think he's. I've seen him play really well. Yeah, yesterday he didn't. Um, but the other thing was this whole. The other thing that was happening in the lead up to the game is this is the Salah stuff. You know, mm. and I see today CBS Sports, who seem to uh, report a lot of the Saudi uh, news, are saying Al Ittihad are preparing a $162 million offer uh, of which, uh, you know, like $100 million is like a fee and then there's some add-ons and then like Salah gets Neymar, Ronaldo money, you know? And Liverpool would be insane to turn that deal down. Turn it down. Yeah. I disagree because I think they could still do a similar deal next season uh, and right now if they sell him then it's like, well, mm. we're, you know. But... The the fact is, like, is this Kelly Cates called Jamie Carger a conspiracy theorist when he mentioned the link between the fact? Okay, they're playing Newcastle today. Newcastle run by Saudi Arabia now. Saudi Arabia wants to buy Mo Salah, who's been Liverpool's best player for you know since since he's arrived more or less. Is this a pincer movement or coincidence? And she said, oh, you know, there's plenty of places you can talk those conspiracy theories, just not not in my studio or whatever. All right. At the same time, though, I have been watching a bit of the, um, I finally got around to watching a bit of the Newcastle documentary. Mm. Um, no. <laughs> um, it's one of the most awful things I've ever seen. But I do think I will go back and watch more. It's a little bit like that show and just like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, I'm kind of like... Yeah, that's okay. I'll still keep watching that garbage. Well, this yeah. is your latest corporate origin story, Ken. You're all about them these days. Well, this is the, the amazing thing about the the uh, the film. It's just to the extent to which it is all about the owners. You know, like they are the star. I'll admit to you that when it started, the very first uh, like establishing shot of the show, the camera's kind of coming down slowly over these like skyscrapers. And I thought... Jeez, now I don't remember them being in Newcastle when I when I have they thrown up a couple of mm. some of these UK cities are going quite tall. Like have you been in Cardiff lately? No. Well, Cardiff, you know, you'd be surprised. You go to Cardiff, you know, well, big sky. Simon, you've been to Cardiff. I mean, this they've got some pretty He's tall buildings there now. Seriously now. Vaguely impressed with really your impressive thought process. I thought, well, I mean and it was only it was after in fairness, it was a few mm. seconds later I was like, Oh, this is not Newcastle. This is like this is of course. Riyadh that I'm looking at. Ah, yes. No, no. It, it's fallen into place. This is very much, this is very much Riyadh, the sprawling desert metropolis, rather than the uh, the old city, fog on the Tyne or whatever. So, but then it can. It's it's sort of just all about you know Amanda Staveley, her husband's Meridad Gudusi, His Excellency Yasser Al Rumayan, who is the chairman of Newcastle and of the Saudi PIF, uh, the Ruben brothers slash sons. Um, 
And it's just all about them. It's like it's like succession. You know, you know there's an episode of succession where they buy hearts. Yeah. Literally, yeah. literally, you see about as much of hearts, you see about as much of Newcastle in this as you have hearts. Well, there's confusion about whether it's supposed to be yeah, Hibs or Hibs. They should have bought Hibs, but yeah. they ended up buying the wrong team. Are you sure? <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure your heart's dead. But, you know, it's so you're just seeing these people and like making deals and they're in Learjets and they're and they're like going to castles you know and this the music is is literally as though they've copied the succession they've just fed succession <laughs> music into an AI generator and they're like you know we've got something that sounds like it and here we are we're gonna we're gonna do a bit of bore on the floor or whatever you know here's here's his excellency playing foosball you yeah, know yeah. are you serious that's an actual scene oh yeah, yeah. oh big time Owen big time and this the, the thing that really strikes me about it is watching Stavely manage these super rich people because this is her whole mm. thing she's been extremely successful and like there is no such thing as like too much right you know if say oh and you were speaking right say say some stuff there say some stuff okay just just, just get, get, as though you were giving a McTeppet take or whatever well my McTeppet take is that we have another injured party in the second captain's firmament here Ken mm-hmm. You're giving me an amazing look here, with, which I, I don't even know how to describe. But we're going to talk about that injury in the other podcast today. Mm-hmm. Murph has a little cast on his arm there. You're kind of scaring me with the way you're looking. I'm scaring you, Owen. But how, what would you say? How would you describe my look? I would say that you're a faithful servant of Owen. I'm saying that if I'm, Owen asks you to do anything, intently, yeah. I'm trying to give you a life that, in your eyes. That was my effort at a, at a billion watt smile. Yeah. Okay. Right. I'm trying to I'm trying to give you a billion watt smile in order to say what you're saying right now mm. is the most amazing thing I have ever heard. Uh, if Ken, if Amanda Stavely copied Ken's look to you, yeah, that would be a barring order. Not uh, <laughs> no, that's not managing up. That's I want the barring you're, order. You're it's it's the angle the you're tilting yeah. your neck at. You're putting your neck up to the right there. Your head up to the right of your neck, and then arching around slightly and staring at me with one eye half cocked. Oh well, th- that's probably just my own uh, weird face. Uh, I think <laughs> she's probably she probably has practiced in the mirror this look a little bit. But yeah. the point is, you can't. There's no. Over the, there's no such thing as over the top. Yeah. Like at one point, he shows her uh, Yasser El Rumayan, the mischievous um, uh, chairman. Mm-hmm. Uh, shows he 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 goes like this. He opens his jacket. Mm-hmm. He kind of and and he's looking at Amanda Savely and in and like kind of, but he's opening his jacket like this. Yeah. And she then notices after a couple of beats that actually the line he's showing her the lining of his jacket, which he's got done in black and white stripes. And we've seen this because he he was on the remember he was on the pitch yeah, yeah. at St James Park doing kick. He just ball. suffered an injury, and that's why he yes. kicked the ball like a yeah yeah. Uh, and she her reaction to this honestly is just like <laughs> this is the most mind blowing thing I have ever seen. He's a card, isn't he? You just are an, a, an absolute character. This is absolute genius, Your Excellency. Your Excellency, and this is just the way that you apparently you'd go on. This is you, you can see how successful she's mm. been, and this this is the approach that works. So just remember, if you if you do ever end up in that world, that don't don't ever feel like they don't think they get like, embarrassed on your behalf. Am, am I going a bit over the top here with this sort of yeah. flattery? And you know, don't. The, you're not, yeah, right. You you should. Try I'm going to keep more. you around. You make me feel. This actually good. sounds quite watchable. Ah, uh, to right. be fair, Owen, it's really awful. Yeah. But for it's watchable on this level. Like they're not deliberately 
there's no laughs. Yeah, like succession without the laughs or subversion, as you said in the paper. This today. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. but there is, uh, it, it still is yeah. interesting to watch. <laughs> and it is like mostly succession these if guys. the makers were trying to make the Roy family as likable as possible. Yeah, like Lo- Logan Roy is just this like incredibly charismatic, sort of avuncular uh, figure, mm. like Uncle Logan. You know, that, that's Yasser, I'll remind me. Anyway, um, what was the point about Salah, this? about, about oh, yeah. the links to... About how well, it, might be, it might be beneficial theorists. to Newcastle to have Salah out of the Premier League picture. Well, look, you know, there's, there's certain teams that might be going for the Champions League uh, and, you know, Newcastle are one of those teams and maybe if some of those other teams, you know, could, could have their best players mm. cut off... That might help in some way. It's funny because we had an emailer a few weeks back saying that maybe is the, is the money going to dry up for Newcastle now because of the commitment to bringing all the best players to Saudi Arabia. But actually that commitment might have a knock-on positive effect if all of Newcastle's rivals are stri- stripped of their most important assets. Put it this way, I'm not sure I'm going to see Al Itahad um, gearing up a massive bid for Alexander Isak or Bruno Gimaraes. You know, I don't, I'm not sure that's going to happen. But but in this in this thing, what one it, it's clear that the cameras weren't there for the first half of last season. They sort of came in in January. That seems to be because they kind of skip over the first half of the season, and then you're getting more detail from January. And one of the big episodes that they cover is I mean, I've only watched one episode, but one of the episodes in the sense of things that happened in the season yeah. was, is the signing of Anthony Gordon, which was in January. And so. Um, yeah, we've already seen His Excellency say, I've got, there. how much involvement do you have in the day-to-day, Your Excellency? And he's like, zero. You know, otherwise I might as well fire all the, the managers. I mean, we're paying them to do the job. I don't, you know, I'm not going to come in here and make all the day-to-day decisions. I mean, that's that's their job and they do a great job. So, yeah, like, okay, fine. But he does have some executive involvement. Like, say, we know that he was one of the three people who were voting on who to have as a new manager, you know, when they when they got Eddie Howe, he, of course he was in favour of Eddie Howe, it was a two-to-one majority. We don't know who the uh, who the other people were voting, but he was, His Excellency was in favour. So, in terms of big calls like that, he is, he does have involvement. With the, with the Anthony Gordon thing, it seems like the purpose of this kind of section is to sort of show how these PIF guys, you know, they're not going to be taken for fools, you know. This is not some kind of... Um, decadent operation where we just get in and throw money around willy-nilly and don't really care because like it's you know whatever we're actually this is a serious business and we're not going to overpay for stuff so they're showing this like negotiation with Everton and I think if I from memory it's like we've we've asked for Gordon Everton have said they want 50 plus 10 50 million plus plus 10 in add-ons with two it's too much um, we've got to bring that down uh, and the board are like Whoa. so we see Mayor Dad who's Amanda Savi's husband saying yeah, you know, we talk to, we have numerous calls a week with PIF. They keep abreast of everything. We make decisions collectively. They're smart people. We wouldn't be in this position without them. Which you're like, yeah, that's that's certainly fair. But um, but so, so there's this whole drama going back and forth. And, and it seems like what they're showing is two things. Number one, we're not, you know, we're not, we're no mugs. We're not going to overpay. We've got our, we've got a ceiling. It's an actual business we're here. We're going to yeah. stick to it. And the other is just to show how hard Amanda Staveley is working to make the deal happen. Mm. You know, she's like, she's absolutely, she's flying to Riyadh. She's like doing calls and having meetings and she's just doing everything she can to make the deal happen. Right. And she's just like trying to get the deal over the line. And she mentions at one point that Eddie Howe has, has talked to him, talked to his excellency to try and lobby for the deal. See what I mean? So, so Eddie Howe has actually talked to Yasser al to try and, you know, your excellency, I really feel that Anthony Gordon could be a, a very special player for our team. 
you know, and I understand, of course, we have a ceiling, but, you know, it will be a great thing for the club if mm-hmm. your excellency could, you know. And so, so there, he's involved, right? He, 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 at least when they're making a major decision, how much money to spend on a player, making a big signing, it will be run past him because, you know, he's the boss. He's also the boss at Al Etihad, right? Or in the sense that PIF own four clubs of which mm. Al Etihad is one. So, which is a bigger deal? Which is a bigger signing? Anthony Gordon to Newcastle United from Everton or Mohamed Salah from Liverpool to the Saudi Pro League? A bigger signing in what sense? Well, in every sense. Well, obviously Salah. Salah by miles. I mean, Salah is a, is a world star. Like, is the, the, the money involved would be bigger. The salary involved would be astronomical. The excitement around the move would, be, would make it a huge deal. Mo, Mohamed Salah is coming to Saudi Arabia. You know what I mean? If he was involved in Anthony Gordon... Do you think he might have heard anything about this? I think, I think he might. Like, you know, Jamie, Jamie Carragher was being told, away, away now with your conspiracy talk. Mm. I'm kind of like, well, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe he's more hands-off with the Saudi, with the Saudi clubs. I'm not sure why he would be. Yeah. But, you know, that, so that, that, that did seem interesting. And I, I, do, I do get the impression that this doc, we will be returning to this documentary. Not, I've only watched one episode. Yeah, but I do feel like it's the sort of thing whereby... We'll be told in a, we might be told in a couple of years. Well, that was an incomplete understanding of how the club actually worked, and really, that's a documentary made by a television company. So, I would be I would hesitate to take anything too literally about yeah. the particular roles that particular people do in this club. I think that would be an overstatement of how involved or not involved someone may or may not be. I just feel like, for history's sake. You know, for posterity's sake, I think this documentary could actually be quite useful. Well, look, it's 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 out there. I will I'll probably get around to watching the rest of it. But you know, that's that 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 was all feeding. It's a bad thing. We we will be talking to Dion and John about the game. But I mean, it's just it was phenomenal what happened in the end of the game. I do think it was a bad, a very bad day for Eddie Howe. Um, quite a bad day for Mikel Arteta as well. Yeah, now Arsenal been having a few little problems. It's not like it's a total mess. You know, they have got seven points which is not too bad but City obviously have you know they've won all the games and including against Sheffield United where Haaland seemed to be having a bad day you know it was Haaland is malfunctioning he misses a penalty he's missing a chance he's he started to look worried what a weird expression to see on his face you know followed by the relief this absolutely beautiful uh, setup by Grealish like it's is it the best thing he's done I mean I mean, he's done a lot of good things. I had some pretty good moments last season, but there's a great replay from where you're Behind seeing Grealish. his eyes. Oh, we're seeing Grealish's eyes. Because you can see how early, he's just looking at Haaland the whole time. Yeah. He's not thinking, I'm going to go in and have a shot here. He's thinking, what's the most efficient way to get the ball to Haaland? And when you're as good as Jack Grealish, the most efficient way is sometimes to hold on to the ball as long as possible. Yeah. And a couple of sways of the body will lose a defender. You just need a yard, you just need a foot. Yeah. Then you clip it over and obviously Haaland's going to do the rest. Everything about it was brilliant. Like the, just the, the little sways of the bodies, you call them on. I don't know. He's like his little, his, he was shimmering, you know, mm. which way, what will I do? Just little tiny touches. And then a, a perfect left foot across, great goal by Haaland. And then, um, Okay, they then Walker made a mistake. They conceded an equaliser and scored immediately. Another great goal by Roji. So City are kind of, you know, Guardiola back in Spain with a, with a back. He's had back surgery or whatever. Um, still, they've got nine out of nine. Arsenal seven. Um, didn't play great against Palace, but managed to win. This time didn't play great, but didn't win against ten men. Um, and I could see that some of the. Um, commentary around this like I I love Gary Neville's analysis of what, what's gone wrong with Arsenal uh, 
for me, looking at Arsenal, there is an element of experimentation. This expectation that fullbacks think they can play in midfield and midfielders think they can play at fullback. So this is, we, we know he's not just talking about Arsenal here. He's talking about Alexander-Arnold. He's talking about Guardiola. He's talking about himself. He's talking about what's ha- what, you know, how things are going down the Swanee in modernity, right? All of this stuff is... is uh, Thomas Partey is playing half and half in a game. Sometimes there's no moment you need to go back to basics. I would expect next week Arteta is going to end that experiment. Next week they're playing Man United. Uh, we'll p- probably go with a solid back four with four defenders. He will maybe move Partey in midfield along with Rice and Odegaard to get back to something what, which resembles what a team should look like. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, you can see where his sympathy is. This is not what a team should look like. Bouncing team is important. Innovation is fantastic. We love seeing new things. What's the next word? But. But sometimes something that started as a good idea evolves into something that, to be fair, just doesn't work. <laughs> so, in fairness, it, it is correct that, that this doesn't work. But what's actually going on with Arsenal is that I think w- one of the big problems they've had is Zinchenko hasn't been starting, hasn't been available to start. And he's very good at that. Zinchenko yes. does that naturally. This is exactly what they, they were doing it all last season. Zinchenko was doing this from, from left back. They've had Partey sort of trying to do it and he's not as good at it, and then it changes the balance a little bit because Ben White isn't playing right back and Ben White's playing in the middle. This is the other strange thing. What's happening with Gabriel? So this is this is starting to... I can see Ian Wright saying, oh, I know a lot of Arsenal fans are concerned about this. Gabriel, the centre-back, played... Uh, he missed, I think, nine minutes of football last season in the league and is just sitting there on the bench this time. What is this all about? He's another player actually who's been linked with a move to Saudi Arabia. So whether that has something to do with it, I don't know, but I do think that they look better when he's playing and Ben White's playing right back and Zinchenko left back, which is not to say that this idea of an inverting fullback, you know, you've, you've, Arsenal, you've obviously strayed into something degenerate here and you need to get back to what a team should look like. This was how they looked like all last year and it worked very well. Uh, for the most part. And I'm sure that that's what he, if Zinchenko is fit, this is what he will be trying to do against Manchester United. Whether, I don't think you'll see Partey at right back. Um, maybe Partey's in midfield because Havertz has kind of been Mason mounting it a little bit in his first few games, you know. Um, uh, I'm not really sure what it's going to be, but I'm, I'm not sure it's, uh, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be right. Let's, you know, let's go back to a flat back four lads, you know, this, this ooh, stuff has gone far enough. You know, we need to get back to what a team is going to look like. I'll tell you one team that's looking like a pretty strong setup, Ken. Yeah. David Moyes West Ham. David Moyes of West Ham. Did I tip them to get relegated? Last year. Uh, last year you had them in and about. Was it you? Was it Brune? Well, anyway, either way, they're not getting relegated this year by the looks of things. They're going really well. Um, and what I have to say I've been very impressed by is... Um, uh, director of football Mark Noble oh yeah maybe a few of us saw West Ham appointing Mark Noble as director of football and thought is this a bit of a jobs for the boys type mm-hmm. of thing that, that's going on here you know Mark's a great he's been a great servant to the club you know is there anywhere we can keep him keep him around the... Mark Noble based on you know what what the signings that have come in and out has had a very, very good transfer window for West Ham. Obviously, Declan Rice left, uh, and Declan Rice is, you know, uh, you know, we know his importance to 
uh, West Ham and, you know, he, beyond just what he was giving them on the field, he was kind of their their icon, their hero. Um, they got a good price for Declan Rice. And for the money that they um, received from Arsenal for him, they have been able to sign uh, James Ward-Prowse, Edson Alvarez from Ajax, and now today Mohamed Kudus, also from Ajax. All three players are arriving for... Well, it's the same amount of money. The same amount of money in rice, and then they've spent uh, they've spent the rice money on mm. these three guys. So kudos to Mark Noble. Kudos to Mark Noble. He's also signed um, Konstantinos Mavropanos, who um, had been playing really well for Stuttgart. There's a guy who formerly played for Arsenal, and they kind of loaned him out to the Bundesliga, and he, and he turned into well in Bund in. In terms of the Bundesliga, one of the best defenders. So he's also come in, but they've sold Skamaka, who obviously was a signing that didn't work out, um, Nikola Vlasic and Masuaku. So that West Ham have made a profit on their trading over the summer. They have replaced Declan Rice with three new midfielders. And I mean, I'm thinking this is this is like really brilliant work. This is this is amazing by mm. Mark Noble. Um, okay, I suppose we have to see is Kudus going to be as good? I mean, Kudus, whenever I've seen him, looks really talented. Yeah. Kudus actually was linked with Brighton. We're going to talk to John with Brighton. He was there. Um, but didn't join them because they wouldn't give him a release clause. So I don't know what kind of release clause if West Ham have given him one. It seemed like Kudus was looking at Brighton, get, you know, getting stepping 115 stone, million. Maybe? Stepping stone, but suddenly it's, it seems like an expensive stepping stone to get off. You know, it's like Brighton are making too much money here. You know, I need to kind of protect myself a bit. He's ended up at West Ham and it looks really good. I mean, who knows whether it'll all, um, how it will all hang together over the season. But given the situation they were in, uh, losing Rice and kind of worrying about what was going to come next, they look pretty, it looks as though they've, they've replaced them pretty well. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So, Fiat asked that question. Pretty strange. I'm very disappointed, yeah, but there you go. What have I become? My sweetest friend. I mean, at the time I thought that you were completely in the right. Everyone I know. But now I think. Goes away. She just played in, just played in. I'm surprised you're really asking that question. And you could have it. 
No, well, it doesn't matter really what you think. My empire of dirt. Yeah, you want air at the time. I will let you down. You want a, an international player. I will make you hurt. And you hadn't had the frustrations I had. If I could start again. You've not played at the international level. A million miles away. And you hadn't been accused of taking an injury, so. I What you think doesn't really matter. I would find a way. Free States, Dion Fanning's in studio. Hey, Dion. Hey, Alan. Thanks very much for coming into us. And we've got John Brune, who was at the Amex on Saturday to see West Ham briefly ride to the top of the Premier League. Hey, John. Hello there, Owen. We will talk about West Ham at some point shortly, but let's start with Darwin Nunes. Dion, when he was through on goal the second time for what turned out to be the winning goal, were you expecting him to score again? I was expecting him to be offside. <laughs> that was uh, I, I expected something to go wrong because I think that's what you you get from Darwin Nunes. I think I, I did compare, compare him before to a, a loose horse at the Grand National. You know, you never know. Like he could he could end up being the horse that kind of you know is finishing ahead of all the other horses, <laughs> jumping clear and striding magnificently ahead of everyone else, or else he could be the horse that falls and brings down ten other runners and riders. So uh, you don't know what you're going to get. But that was I didn't I didn't expect it two two in a row for him to do that. Two I in actually, a row. I did expect him. Did to you score the second the, time? The second just with one. a bit of confidence up. Yeah, I I thought he was going to score the second one, and he did well, and he did. But the first one, I, I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe what I what I had seen. So, Hannah, what changed then for the second one? Just purely, second. well, he's just he's just done it. Then the he's second, bound the to do it that, again. The fact that he just done it, and it just, I just at that point, you thought this is going, this is actually going to happen here. He's yeah. he's going, he's going to do it. What I liked about it was different kinds of finishes as well. The first one was a bit more drilled, low and hard. Second one, slightly more side foot r- r- rising up, just keeping the goalkeeper guessing at all times. Yeah, and. And he seemed to actually, yeah, and to do something a bit different. And the thing with Nunes is so often, uh, even when he does something good, when you look back on it, it there's there's a little bit of, of good fortune that has, that has come his way or he's shinned it or something like that. He scored a goal in the in the cup last season. That was, was great. But I think it actually... Uh, well, who was that? That was against. Uh, who was that against? Anyway, he came off. It came the volley that kind of he kind of shinned a little bit. Oh, I know the goal you're talking about, but I can't remember. Um, who it was against. And but this one, the, the two of them, they were actually sort of textbook. <laughs> they were the they were the goals of the player that Liverpool thought they were buying. John, is it a breakthrough moment for this player? <laughs> I think Liverpool are hoping so. Though, uh, wasn't it a, a couple of maybe over the weekend even that he was linked with a move to Chelsea? He looks to me like a Chelsea player, like a Chelsea striker uh, of, of, of the strikers' graveyard that that, that club can be. Uh, no, let's not let's not be unfair on his moment of glory. Um, the first goal, if I'm correct, was the not as the the defender sort of played him in by making a mistake. Was that it? So it, weirdly hit Botman on the back, and then he he right, actually kind yeah. of backheeled it accidentally into Darwin's path. Yeah, and then Darwin, you know. Hit, hope, what a goal. And then actually the second one, I, I did think he'd score because that this is one of those players that's an ultimate confidence player. He's a streak player. Um, I mean, I go back to, I mean, I saw him play, remember the, his first appearance for Liverpool, oh, competitive, was against Fulham, start of last season. He came on, scored, and then, you know, was like a, a rat up a drain pipe after everything. You know, he was chasing everything, was wanted to score. And he, he once he gets that momentum... 
Now, the issue is, of course, uh, over last season is that Jürgen Klopp failed to get that momentum. And, you know, obviously there was the sending off against Crystal Palace that that, that rather ruined his progress at the very start. Um, but Liverpool have so many good players in attack. How long are you going to play the or, or, or continue the Darwin Nunes experiment to see if he can do that on a regular basis? I'm not sure. Um, he, he's He's a... He's a super sub, but not in the sort of, you know, reliability of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or David Fairclough. He's just the, the this random factor that you can send on to, into a game that, like the one yesterday, which is, you know, uh, a shot to nothing really to Liverpool. They're a man down. Throw this guy on, see what he can do. And he is capable of the spectacle. No harm. No harm having that in your squad, John. No, no, not at all. I mean, it's a squad game and uh, a, a play like that. OK, <laughs> you don't pay... A, a, 80 million or whatever for, for that type of player. Uh, no, I mean, he, he's been the fifth out of five forwards that yeah. they've used in every game. Like, he's never been, he's never come on fourth or, you know, you know what I mean? It's He's always been number five out of five, which is... Yeah, you, you, don't, you, you don't pay 80 million for a cult hero, do you? That's the thing. And, uh, but, and he, he's, the other thing about Don is he's very likeable as well, I think. Don't you think? Like, he's just so game. Uh, you know, like, like, um, like Dion's loose horse, there's a charm to him, you know. There's a, you know, they're just just the enthusiasm for the game to to keep on running and jumping and well, trying to enjoy himself. Well, I think that's. I think like, it's interesting because I think of all the Liverpool strikers there now, and obviously the exception of Salah, he's the he has the one with the most kind of power and personality. Like he is a kind of in, in certain like you see it yesterday. You're like he is an eighty million signing, whereas Gakpo is. Cerebral, yeah, cerebral, tidy, but a little bit. He's a little bloodless. He's not. He's not alpha. (laughs) You know, he's not. He's not that. He's son-in-law material. (laughs) Gakpo, and uh, and that and 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 Nunes is is alpha, uh, except in in everything except maybe his 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 intelligence, um, which is which is an issue I think, and that's. But I think in terms of somebody who I don't think Liverpool have any other player who could actually do what. Apart from Salah, who could do what he did yesterday and 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 turn a game around, whether it then leads to him, you know, I think it's I think I think everybody, I think Klopp, everything Klopp said about the match and about about Nunes yesterday is designed to kind of will this kind of turning point into existence. Yeah, whether that's the case for the team and for him, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I mean, he's he's done this amazing thing. Like you know, it's like an immortal kind of moment. No one will forget these goals, which means that if even if this is his last season there, you know they're kind of hoping. Well, he'll do what he did at Benfica. He was bad for a season, great the next season. Even if that doesn't happen, he's still someone who they can definitely sell now. You know, it's like this guy has got yeah. this guy has got ability in the right team in the right setup. If he if he plays, if he's confident, if all these other things fall into place, so there is something there. But the, you mentioned the word alpha, Dion. Is Eddie Howe enough of an alpha? To ride, to ride the wild horse that is Newcastle United Football Club. Well, it, it's it's it is an interesting question now because that wasn't an alpha. The, the way they dealt with Liverpool, a ten-man Liverpool yesterday, was not the way I, I think an alpha manager would deal with. with well, that's the way I was expecting. Even this, you know, I mean, you know, the, the situation: a goal up, Liverpool have Van Dijk sent off before half an hour. You're expecting absolute pummeling from yeah. that point. 
and and it could and you know and if Allison hadn't saved from Almiron and Almiron hadn't hit the post that that might have happened so there there are, there are fine margins there but at the same time there was there and you know and I think when you talk about Nunes and the second goal I think you look at that and you see Newcastle were gone at that point the you know the equalizer totally totally killed them and uh, you know and a player like Nunes um probably sensed that too you know there was a, just a sense of them and they've been playing they've been they, they they'd made the changes they'd gone you know they were whole, they were just you know playing out the game to a degree at that point then they got the equalizer and then they're gone and i do think you know it will be interesting uh they've they've you know they're away at brighton next week and it will be interesting if 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 brighton were to beat newcastle Suddenly, this—you know—the the, the absolute frenzy and hysteria of the opening weekend against against Villa. Uh, okay, they lost to, they lost to Manchester City, but I'd say that it's the manner in which they did that as well was 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 a problem because they never looked like they never looked like a team that had actually arrived. You know, we're now a Champions League team. Yeah. Uh, and again, yesterday, if they were going to announce themselves as a top four team, what they look like at the moment is a team that got. Top four last season by 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 through the failings of others like Liverpool, um, and they don't look like a team that really, apart from the Villa game, the other two they haven't looked like they belong in that company, and if and you know their their owners certainly expect them to be in that company, mm. uh, and you would start thinking if they lost to. Uh, if they lost to Brighton, would people start? Would 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 Eddie Howe suddenly find out about how uh, the world of business operates in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I mean, we can. I know you you you're up Brighton, John. Um, we can we can get to them uh, shortly. But I mean, do you think it's unfair, John, to say to kind of look at Eddie Howe's role in what happened yesterday and ask this guy seemed to misread the occasion? You know, uh, like everything was there for Newcastle to really punish this team and you know it's it's like you know Klopp also set a record yesterday 11 wins in a row against Eddie Howe it's a Premier League yeah. record you know and and the previous record was 10 obviously Klopp against Eddie Howe Ferguson against Gordon Strachan Pep Guardiola against Eddie Howe right so Eddie Howe can't even say nobody beats Eddie Howe 11 times in a row <laughs> but like he you know, if you're in the, if you're in that situation with all, with so many advantages and an hour to play at home, team is strong, everything's going great, the whole crowd is, you know, we we could see the situation. How did they fumble it? You know, how 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 can you not close out that? Yeah, you're getting beta cook vibes there, aren't you? Really, uh, rather than alpha. Um, <laughs> no, listen, um, John. I don't approve of the language that you just used. No, uh, listen, and neither do I. It, it was a it was a, <laughs> uh, it was a cultural reference. Let's put it that way. Um, and what a terrible culture that is. Uh, yeah. Um, our culture. Our culture, unfortunately. The manosphere. That's that's what football is these days. Uh, and always has been. Um, now, uh, yes. I, um, Eddie, how, yeah, I mean, we, we live in this world, don't we, of bottling it. And tactically, that was a bottling. Um, taking off Anthony Gordon uh, was was the particular step. The other thing that you, you, you mentioned, you know, Virgil van Dijk, had been sent off. Trent Alexander-Arnold was on a essentially sudden death, and yet they weren't able to push that pressure point any further. Um, and well, they were, but <laughs> the, the referee possibly bottled. Well, I mean, well, that happened before the Virgil Van Dijk sending off, and uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, 
we can't do a Jamie Carragher see into the future type of thing, which uh, obviously, you know, with the Van Dyke sending off or whatever. Uh, but you, what you you can... Um, Newcastle, you know, built up that head of steam uh, and then had Liverpool where they wanted them and yet couldn't do it. Well, that is an issue for Eddie Howe, isn't it? And and I suppose one of the things is that Eddie Howe, the, you know, last week, didn't he? He said this thing, you know, I have no friends in football uh, among other managers. And there's been this sort of tough guy image. And you see that um, Eddie's been working out a bit, you know, and he's sort of, you know, obviously, I suppose if you have to stand next to Jason all day, then you're going to start thinking, maybe I need to sort myself out a bit. Um, but there is this sort of, I don't know, the, the culture between them, this sort of beef with Jurgen Klopp that he... That, it's entirely constructed through Eddie Howe. I mean, Jürgen Klopp made a couple of gags and him trying to sort of pander to the fans and be, uh, you know, hey, listen, you know, I don't find this funny and all this and humorless. And he played into Klopp's hands there. And obviously, we've all seen the photos of of, of, of Jason Sindel and, and uh, Jürgen Klopp. The Jürgen Klopp, Jürgen Klopp one apparently photoshopped. Oh really? Yeah, really? yeah. Okay. This, is, this is the world we're living in now, John. Is, really? you know, we all saw that photograph from that. Well, there you go. And then it turns out it was just fake. So, 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 Jurgen Klopp is the better man then. The man, the, <laughs> but the, you know, the, the the guy that's able to behave himself uh, and and uh, and keep 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 control of himself because they did get a little bit excitable. And I suppose one of the things is we've all been at St James's Park. St James's Park, when it really gets into that, um, you know, go out there and. And uh, you know, kill the opposition. Eddie Howe was trying to think tactically. He's trying to think how how do I win this game? How do I see this out? The other thing is, of course, uh, you know, I, I think during the commentary, Gary Neville referred to them. Well, they, they do remind me of Atletico Madrid. Well, Simeone, you would expect, would have seen that one out with those tactics. You know, with the the the, the killing time tactics and the. Um, what do we call it? Shithousery, they call it, don't they? Uh, and they weren't quite good enough at that aspect of it and allowed Liverpool to get their get their spirits back up and start believing. In, and, and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold made a good point after, which is, he said, if you're, in a, if you're down to 10 men, what you can't do is score after, say, 50 minutes because that gives them time to, to work you over. What you've got to do is stay just behind that... that uh, to that goal advantage and then push on at the end if, if you want to win the game. And that's what Liverpool did. And Newcastle allowed them to do it. It's a significant reverse. I think Dion's correct in that the pressure will come down after the Brighton game, should they lose it. But also, remember, Eddie Howe's going to have to manage in the Champions League, where you're going to be against elite managers there who know the way around all these, these tricks. And should Newcastle struggle in the Champions League, well, then, yes, you begin to wonder about how Saudi Arabia views uh, their current manager. Are we getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, questioning Eddie Howe's future after losing to Man City and then losing a match against Liverpool? This, that was a really bad day yesterday. There's no doubt about that. And it yes. could be the start of the rot, Dion, but it seems a little hasty to be saying that he's suddenly under pressure for his job. Well, we're doing, again, we're, you know, we're anticipating a, a, you know, like a goal-scoring opportunity. We're anticipating a defeat to Brighton. If that doesn't happen, then there won't be. But I think if, you were, if they were to lose to Brighton, then it would be 
unfairly, but football is full despite of... Despite everything he did last season, despite getting... The, I'm not saying there's despite, lo- loyalty or any, any nonsense like that, but... the. Well, I don't think I, I, I it, would, be, it would be a very unpopular move at this point to sack Eddie Howe, for example. It would and be unpopular with I fans, wouldn't it? I yeah. don't know if that's yeah. exactly what the owners want is to start creating but, a rift with the supporters who seem to revere them. So, but there are uh, there you know football history is littered with uh, fans' favourite managers at, at clubs who get lose pro- three games and then become yeah and and you know and if now I'm not saying this is ha- and they and there is no but if they had a manager lined up um, that. Uh, Came in and actually made things better, and see, you know, was actually look. Let's be honest. I don't think Eddie Howe is ultimately a, a, a first rate, first rank coach or well, manager. He's done a, a first rank job so he's far. Done okay. he's, he's done okay. He's done more than okay. He's, he's, he's got okay. them from the depths well, of the Premier League into the Champions you know, League with, the, with the help of, of Saudi Arabia. Of course, I think with he's that too. Help. I think he's too bottled up to be the Newcastle manager. What does bottled up mean? I mean that you. this is a job for somebody who understands emotions and Eddie Howe is an emotion denier. <laughs> he really is. Like, he, he, if you look at Eddie yeah. Howe, his whole, his whole thing is like, oh, you know, uh, uh, he, he's like uh, kind of looking at things very rationally. Worry is not really an emotion I feel in football, isn't it? What, like what? Like, what? You know, <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a quote from Eddie Howe. I've been watching the Newcastle uh, documentary and like the, the whole point about Newcastle that they go on incessantly about in that documentary is how special the fans are and how and what are you know raucous you know the St. James's Park you know that, well it is true and that's it is, what like, it's all about you have to channel that that's, re- that's, that's like a huge, there, a huge there, asset for the club there was a scene in the, in the opening I remember just watching at the opening game against Villa there was a moment and it wasn't after a goal or anything it was just a moment during the game when they were ahead and you know you, there was there was a shot of the players and in the background you just saw these, these these supporters and it was like you know it was like the Beatles walking on stage in sort of 1963 <laughs> like it was mm. there was just hysteria of people's heads shaking entering it's into like some Mad Max Fury right? yeah yeah there's I mean, just, so there is <laughs> and like that that was to their advantage yesterday and yeah. somehow Newcastle under how said let, let's take the emotion let's take the emotion out of this game let's bring it into a into a, yeah. a into a, a more serene place, and that counted against them. Just not. That's not. That's not what you want. And I, and I think this Klopp is a is a good example of someone who of a manager who has kind of used that mm. at his club. You know, it's whipping it up. And you saw you saw him again yesterday. I'm sure there was a bit of. He didn't do the shushing thing to Jason Tindall, apparently, but I'm sure he was thinking a bit about Jason Tindall <laughs> as he was doing the. But you know, what this, happened to the not allowing two managers, the, the assistant stand beside? Yeah, the, that seems first to have manager. That seems to have gone with those. Well, you know, you see them all squealing on each other all the time, like Tindall squeal. Oh, Trent Alexander-Arnold has thrown the ball. Klopp pointing at Tindall and how? Oh, they're standing too close to this. This is ridiculous. Like how? I, I have gone off point there slightly, but in fairness, the the shithousery, that kind of thing is the stuff that usually gets fans on side and gets them riled up. So there's plenty of that last season. I, I, yeah, I think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but I think that's that's a bit that's a bit negative. I mean, he needs to like look at look at the history of Newcastle. Like, who's the best Newcastle? The best Newcastle team. The whole the 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 kind of modern Kevin Keegan nineties. That's, that's you know, well, it's, well, it's Keegan, and then it's the Bobby, and it's the same way that they carried and bought and into the Jordan they, Nation Did thing. that Newcastle team under Kevin Keegan ultimately lose the league because he was too emotional and transmitted too much emotion to the team? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean what so. losers they were. You know, yeah. The greatest yeah. losers in the history. We saw Fasino Espria there. It was funny, the stat that popped up when Espria was spotted in the, the corporate box was uh, scored in both 4-3 defeats <laughs> against Liverpool. <laughs> it was just so Newcastle in the 90s. It scored in both these amazing defeats that they had and possibly cost them the league title. Yeah, I, th- I think he needs to. Um, 
I don't know. I, I think I think that's that should be an asset rather than a sort of a problem to be managed. I mean, the problem is probably overstating it, you know. But but that kind of fervor, uh, I don't know how it's really demand to channel channel that. Um, but the other the other question that obviously arose out of the game, and I know it's it's uh, it's kind of unavoidable to talk about it. Is the is the refereeing stuff? Like, what do you think? What do you think Howard Webb is trying to do, John? There, there have been now nine red cards in the Premier League, which is like by far more than there ever been before. You know, in terms of it's, the rate is nearly, uh, it's 0.3 per game. Yeah. <laughs> red, red cards. All the red cards have been, with the exception of McAllister, which got rescinded, they've all been sort of second bookings or um, denial of goal scoring opportunity red cards. I mean, I mean, what, for, maybe we should talk about it specifically in terms of the game yesterday. What did you make of what happened there? There was two uh, obvious red card decisions. Uh, the referee decided to show well, one red card. The, the, the reason that Trent Alexander-Arnold didn't get sent off for what was a clearly yellow card offence was because his previous offence was part of the new Howard Webb broom, wasn't it? Which is... Yeah, slightly debatable. He's thrown the ball back. He's shown dissent, so he gets a booking. And the referees thought, you know, on the balance of it, he shouldn't really be sent off for those two offences. Now, that's what some people would call common sense refereeing. If you're a Newcastle fan or Eddie Howe, you are baying for the letter of the law to be uh, adhered to. Uh, and once once the, you booked him and then he does that, that's a clear second yellow. It's, 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 and funny, I, I, was, I was at Fulham last week and uh, Marcus Silva has been booked in every game so far, uh, which I think is fantastic, uh, for dissent. Um, has said, <laughs> he said that, you know, he, he, said, uh, he said that it's going to be, he said there will be 300 bookings in the first 10 weeks of the season, you know, and it, it's completely crazy. And he's absolutely right yeah. with, with, the, with this sort of level of... Uh, well, by the letter of the no. law, John, uh, uh, practically half the Newcastle team and all their coaches should have also been booked for yes, yes, uh, yeah, they should, uh, calling the for is, a well, yellow well, second yellow card that, for that, that was an amazing. Yeah. Trippier was right it, there in the, yeah. in the face so of the referee. That's meant to be yellow so straight why, away. Why, why, why is this not? Yeah. Why is this well, that's not it because that is the problem again. I actually think that he's right to book if you're going to do something about dissent and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. What he, led up to it? What led up to it? Like that's the whole point. Yeah. You're going to be angry yeah. when your decision that maybe was, which was ridiculous. You complain about all the decisions. Yeah, that's yeah. why I'm now booking. Yeah, for yeah, and you won't complain even when I get it wrong, as I have in this in this case. But then you also <laughs> have to do it when you get it wrong and don't send off uh, Alexander Arnold. You have to book the other players. But the problem is you can't because uh, you you are going to just have this this avalanche of bookings. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I think it's impossible now not to. Um, see it framed by you know the Mike Dean insights as well oh, into yeah well, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was as, gonna as get Ken to was discussing in, in detail in the podcast on Friday yes John yeah I was uh, um, this was people didn't this, this is Mike Dean in the in in his uh, in depth podcast interview with Simon Jordan. Jordan Simon Jordan up of front yeah. Went. He gave a, He lifted the lid on how referees well, actually think about these big calls. Sometimes I. I was watching Sky uh, Soccer Saturday just before I set off for Brighton, and you know Mike Dean is obviously the guy on there. Now basically, it's become the Mike Dean show. So the, the, there's sort of six. Put you know there's obviously Simon Thomas the presenter, and then the rest of them are just basically asking questions of Mike Dean. And there was like an hour's interview with Mike Dean over what he'd said there. And the thing is. What's got 
what, what's I mean the, the, the guy the guy is made you know financially but uh, it, I'm not sure he's doing the best for for refereeing and what's happening is is that Howard Webb is trying to uh, tighten the rules you know, along FIFA de- uh, 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 regulations of course uh, but also they're trying to sort of open up the facts and like yeah maybe get to know these referees but the thing is what we're seeing into the world of referees so. Uh, we had the, we had Peter Walton. Now I'm not sure Peter Walton was particularly good for the image of refereeings, uh, and you know a very indecisive man and quite a strange man as well. Uh, and then you've got Mike Dean, who's a bit more personable. But what you're finding is that other referees are coming out of the woodworks. So you've got Keith Hackett, columns in various newspapers. You've got your Jeff Winters, and it's it's like this bitchy old queen scene of refereeing, isn't it? You're getting. It's like sort of whatever happens to Baby Jane or something like that. They're all these sort of, and and you, you, the the more we find out about referees, the worse it's got, really. Sorry, John. I, I, I naively, I don't think anyone ever really be, like understood how how referees viewed themselves. No, you know, until this stuff came along, until Mike Dean started talking about, you know, I'm not going to send a mate. Yeah. To the to the to the screen. He's having a terrible day. I don't want to. I don't want to make his day, my mate's day any worse. And he comes out on Saturday and starts talking. About, well, you know, they use the word mate. That got it all. They took a you context. Use the word mate. You use the word mate. I, he shouldn't have said mate. He's just he's a colleague. He's an acquaintance. <laughs> um, but you know, I don't want to be sending. And again, you're looking into this the motivation when everyone else is watching and thinking. You either make a decision or you don't. It's nothing to do with yes. how how you feel. And and the idea that it was somehow humiliation, I don't think would have struck people. As, as part of the thought process. And, then, and as you see this thought pr- process unfolding, you're going to get this glimpse into like what happens to people. It reminds me of, there was a former football correspondent uh, of The Sun who was said to have thrown a party and he had such a, self, a sense of his own self-importance <laughs> that at his own party he had a VIP roped off section <laughs> in his house for certain for certain more bigger people in football than yeah, others. Yeah, so, yeah. And, uh, and you get this sense of what happens when, when a proximity to fame because these people, referees like football journalists aren't anybody. They're just very close to people who are somebody. Yeah. And the referees, you get it every time Mike Dean speaks, you know, when he's talking about you've got your, uh, you've got your polls, you've got your, uh, you know, whatever, you know, he's listing off his, you know, the referees who are in that room and he's talking about the, the big beasts of refereeing. And you're like, you know, <laughs> nobody else sees it like this. Nobody yeah. else sees it like this. And it does remind me of, you know, our own, our own industry. And, uh, you know, that same yes. sense of, you know, self-importance that comes entirely through Proximity to adjacency people, or, yeah, to people adjacency, who are yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a very similar thing, and it, I don't think anybody, but referees are actually more vital to the thing. And I don't think anybody really realised until Mike Dean started talking yeah. that this is how they view it. John, you are at the Brighton West Ham game. David Moyes is on a one-man crusade to prove that possession is a load of bollocks. Really, what do they have about one percent possession, and they still beat Brighton by three goals to one? What a result! And they were top of the table until Man City won on Sunday. Yeah, uh, to to be even-handed to David Wise, he did say afterwards that he thought his team should have played better in the game. That he didn't think they actually played a, as good football as they could. And actually, what he's talking to there, I think, is that West Ham on the quiet have actually got quite a decent squad this season. Um, because when when they got hundred million for Declan Rice, now we all of us know West Ham. All of us thought that is going to be. Uh, thrown around on, you know, 
you hit the Carlos kicker ball yeah. uh, types. Hey, yeah, and feed, you, feeding frenzy. This is going to completely disappear, this money. Yeah. And they've brought James Will Prowse, who is a you know high-class uh, Premier League player. They've got Edson Alvarez, who Emerson Palmieri described afterwards when chatting to us, said, you know, that this guy is an animal in training and was really, really good and did that screening of the defence that Declan Rice did for many years, except without deck surges into, you know, uh, out of position and it, it looks a real class act and then of course you know you have uh Mikel Antonio is one of those players that on his day can absolutely destroy a sense I love Mikel Antonio I need to dip back into yeah. his podcast with Callum Wilson I listened to it once yeah. last year I quite, yeah. I quite enjoyed it I think I talked about it in the show I'm sure he's his dander is up now I'd say oh, he's amazing. yeah yeah oh, and, and poor Adam Webster was you know torn limb from limb really it was a, it was a bit unfortunate and uh actually Roberto Deserpi sort of said you know why well, it was a he's a good player for us you know you can't really blame it on one game but that was uh, and then of course you know um Saeed Ben Rama who's a player that I don't think David Moyes is particularly approving of because he he can be wasteful supplied that Jared Bowen goal you know which is a beautiful goal because Ben Rama just receives the ball takes a beat slows it down and then just smashes this ball Bowen controls finishes and it's beautiful and that's the type of football that we were talking about Brighton playing. But what Dave, but West Ham did was uh, Mitoma and Solly March are completely starved of space. There's nowhere to go. Um, I must mention Evan Ferguson, of course. Uh, he had three good chances, played pretty well, played, but played with Danny Welbeck in this almost 4-4-2 uh, formation, or 4-2-4, in fact. Uh, and you've got, you know, De Zerbi, as ever, is almost reinventing the wheel with the with the play with, with with the tactics with the with the att- attacking style and they paid for it but that's the thing about Brighton is that under De Zerbe, they they do take risks they will leave gaps at the back if you can get at them but a lot of the time the counter press is so good that that they will get at teams uh but interesting with De Zerbe afterwards and you know he's asked well you know how, why did this happen and he pointed to the fact that uh Brighton have lost three players, you know, Casado, McAllister, Levi Colwell's go back to Chelsea, and that West Ham had been able to buy good players. And I think that's speaking to a point that we've seen before, you know, when a when a, a team rises up and then starts cashing out its players, uh, are they going to be as good as they were before? Now we we all have faith in the Brighton scouting system, they're going to bring good players in, but they're not just there yet. And Deserby made a, a good point, which was to say that you all think that Brighton is a team that's much better, but that's because they've been they've been playing above themselves. I and mean, he did credit himself a little bit with that. But he says, but the standard of the players is not quite as what you think it is, which I think is a, is a good point. I thought Brighton were unlucky on Saturday as well. Like they did. Yes. You know, they, yes. They, uh, you know, as you said, Ferguson had a couple of you know he had some great chances, and you know they, they, they were if one of them had gone in, you know they were back in the game, and they were, and then and I think that. That area, like it is interesting where Brighton are now because they had Milner playing right back, and you know, you know, and that area was where was where West Ham capitalised, mm. and um, and you know, and I know it was like early on in the game they had like the Serbia had Milner, you know, he, he's dropping into midfield, the two fullbacks are playing in midfield, and there's that again that sense with, with Mil- is Milner the person. Like he's a great person to have around from a point of view of his experience, but is he the person to have on the pitch? To have on the pitch for his experience. Uh, so I think that's that is an interesting thing. But I think they were, you know, they were they were a little bit unlucky as well. Dion, they love a comeback at Old Trafford. 
fact, they love a, they love three things at, at Old Trafford and nowhere else. They love a comeback. They love wide players and they love young attacking players. And they, all of those elements were on show at the weekend. The only problem with a comeback is you have to concede goals to begin with, and they conceded two in the first four minutes. One absolutely crazy goal in the first couple of minutes. The Awani one. Uh, would you be encouraged if you're a Manchester United fan that? And it seemed like Ten Hag, who does criticise his players when he feels like he should, was very impressed with how they kept their composure and how they their metal was tested and they came through. Is that what you would take from it, or would you be concerned about the concession of those goals in the first place? I'd, I'd be concerned. I think Ten Hag is uh, politic in how he uses his criticism, and I think you know if he was to come out again after this game and, and criticise his players, people would start thinking, hold on a second, mm-hmm. there's a bit of a pattern emerging here. What's what's wrong with this team? And I don't think, I think the the flaws that are are in the United team, the the, the midfield problems, the, the, you know, Onana setting it, settling in, uh, like the first goal was, well, both goals were actually terrible, were terrible in different ways. There's just, a sense of a team just not, you know, you know, the first one was extraordinary. Well, are you blaming Onana for that? Because I know he didn't exactly command his area and do much about it, but there was such a malfunction in, in the first place that... For the second uh, one? For the the first goal, the one... Well, the second one, he didn't command a, a high ball, but I mean, the first one, I don't know what, what if you're putting the blame on him for not coming out quickly enough, because the, there's also blame to be attached to everybody for allowing Marcus Rashford being there. Yeah, no, there's, so they, they, but again, that, but the, it, if there's blame attached to everybody, and the, the blame is attached to the manager because yeah. if, you're, if you're caught on a, on a, on a counter-attack like that, um, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a kind of structural problem. And I think the goalkeeper is like, you know, how much further back could he go? You know, it was kind of, it was, it was, it was point. His his presence was pointless at the end of it. By the way, serious gas on Rashford to get back to. I, mean, I know. He, it was he got back and then he's like, oh shit, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do here. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen centre halves get sent off doing this to me, so I better just, I better just let him. Shoot yeah, yeah. Hope for the best, John. What was your, what was your take on the United performance? Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not convinced. Uh, I, I think Dion's correct in that. Ten Hag chose his words quite carefully. We said, you know, Eddie Howe under pressure. Uh, let's say now that uh, Eric Ten Hag's under pressure. Now, I, I, I'm joking slightly, but uh, d- d- there is this idea that the first season went so well uh, and what what's happened uh, in the last 10 years is that Manchester United fans get their hopes up and they did this with Louis van Gaal, they did it with Jose Mourinho, they did it with Oli. This is a this is an important period for Ten Hag. He's got to look credible as a Manchester United manager. Now there's been the off off uh, off field issues, the Greenwood thing, in which we still are not totally aware of what Ten Hag's part in it was. But and just on that, because the, the Athletic reports were that he was open that. Ten Hag was open to Greenwood yes. returning to the club. We don't know Ten Hag's thoughts because uh, at the press conference on Friday, it. he was asked yeah. multiple times about it. And effectively, he kept saying answers along the lines of, I'm just focusing on the players who are at the club and who are in the squad and the ones who will be with me going forward. Which is a very Eddie Howe answer, actually. But there you go. Uh, no, he, he, he's um, My instinct is that, uh, is that if, if Ten Hag did not want the player around, then that would have been the end of it. But we, we we don't know any more than that. But United has been a club under fire uh, and he's got to negotiate choppy waters 
uh, yeah, the, 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 the Sun last week ran the story that, uh, that finally the Qatar deal will be done. Nobody else has followed up on that. It was, so and it was a big that. protest. We should also say it was a big sort of anti-Glazer yes, yes. protest after the game. It seemed like quite a lot of fans hung around to protest the well, Glazers. Yeah, th- those fans are in. I mean, listen, uh, I, I sympathise with the uh, wanting the Glazers out. But uh, amongst that group of fans, uh, if I follow the social media, uh, of this particular group, the, the 1958, they do seem to be quite pro Qatar, which would not be my uh, preference as an owner. Um, Glazers out, Qatar in. Well, that's not a great scenario, as far as I'm concerned. But you know, there is this this groundswell, um, and you know, protests in the ground. It, they've not happened too often over the years. Um, and when they have, they haven't really changed the Glazers' opinion that they've always remained completely, you know, like impervious to to to, to any of these protests, as far as I can gather. Um, let's see about that. But I do think that um, Ten Hag has got a problem in that his squad is incomplete because United haven't been able to do the business that he wants. He's got a player like Anthony, who actually did play okay against Nottingham Forest, that he's got to to back and there are issues off field with that as well uh, it's a difficult time for Ten Hag he'll be glad to get through a, a game like that with Forest because if they'd have lost or drawn then the crisis talk begins um, but I think United after last season are in for a, a difficult campaign if he comes through this then uh, this idea that bold is best well maybe there's some credibility in it <laughs> well you, you know who, who are you telling Dion <laughs> We've got the Rodfather in on the Free State podcast this week. Yeah, two parts with with the Rodfather. Two parts. Two he can't parts. be contained in one episode. He, well, he couldn't be contained in one episode. <laughs> if, you've, if you've seen the video he's done, we, we yeah. couldn't contain him. Yeah. So uh, first episode on on himself and his brother and boxing a lot, and then the second one is a uh, broader chat. Excellent. Nice one. Dion, thanks so much. John, brilliant. Thanks a million. And thanks, thanks for having me. See if you don't got this out with mother of you. You're a wee mate. Your bags in your desk. Boom. Your bags in your desk. Boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just what's up, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. You just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grab. He's the biggest fool in Manchester. You didn't get a chance to get in on Manchester United there, Ken. And their come from behind victory. Without getting dragged into more refereeing decision chat. There were a couple of us, a penalty and a red card that helped them on their way back into the game. Yeah. It should probably be, be noted. I thought the red card was more debatable than the penalty just because there is a covering defender. Is he definitely going to get there? It was a Van Dyke one. It was a bit similar to the Van Dyke one, but there there was, there did seem to be a covering defender who I thought had a fair shot of getting there. Yeah, I mean, the guy, Worrell pulls down, uh, it was Bruno, Bruno Fernandes, Fernandes, right, by, yeah. his, by his shorts. And so that's, mm. it's a clear foul and he's trying to stop him running through. But you just wonder, if it, is he the last man? But at the same time, like, I can't really, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't be like, oh, this is a scandal. I mean, it's like, you know, it's it, 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 he saw what he was trying to do and he got sent off and, okay, I, I, I didn't have much, of a, I didn't have a problem with the decision. The penalty, I thought, yeah, I mean, he, he kind of runs past him, the outside gets clipped, 
penalty. It's a very slight clip, but I think there is one there. Yeah, so so I didn't really think. One thing I did think is that, like, you see Bruno Fernandes getting slagged off a lot. Yeah. He's not a captain, you know? And it's always this clip of him not chasing someone back against Liverpool, whoever it was, someone, mm. when they lost 7-0, and I, I forget which player it is, it runs, maybe it's Salah, runs past him, and he, and he just kind of gives up. I say, oh, look at this, uh, this guy, he's not a... I think Bruno Fernandes is clearly the best player and seems to me to turn up in every game, not just in the literal sense of he plays in every match and is never injured, but like he's he's a presence in every match and usually the reason why things happen. I mean, in that in that game, he was the reason they scored all three goals. I mean, he only got the, he only scored the penalty himself, but it was he created the the second goal for Casemiro and it was his shot that kind of destabilized the whole situation for the first goal as well. Mm. Like I do. It's it's about, he, yeah, it's where, he, on, yeah. where he uh, ta- he he tried to take the ball out of the many out of the penalty area, uh, had a bad touch, tackled a man to get the ball. Then the ball squirted. For, he he then slid, it was on the ground again, tackling in a second player. Then got up again, passed the ball to Marcus Rashford, and uh, on many out it went. I mean, he does put in a huge. Effort. He's a winch bag though. That's a problem. He is. He's he, a winch bag. You, mean, like, you say he's a presence in every match. He is, but he's a really annoying presence for a lot of people in every match because mm. he's so demonstrative and not in a "Come on, lads, let's get this going" kind of way. Mm. It always feels as though he's just giving out to somebody, giving out to teammates, mm. which by extension makes you think: Is he not taking responsibility for it himself? Maybe he is actually taking responsibility by doing what he does on the field. Field, yeah. But he just has this yeah. demeanor about him. I think that's a given, though. The wrong way. Yeah, I think that's it. like it, when if you mention Bruno Fernandez to a lot of play, to a lot of people now, the, their first thought will be, "Well, he's a massive winch bag." Mm. And then, so I think maybe it's no harm. Roy Keane Ke- winched a fair bit at his teammates as well. It could yeah. be noted. Yeah. I haven't seen Fernandez like pushing, physically pushing them around. <laughs> yeah. like I was not letting here. Darren Fletcher celebrate that time. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not that I think he's. Uh, I think he's doing all right. I don't think he's the the big problem. I mean, I, I think I think I'm just thinking back again in that Liverpool game. That was the, the time that Gary Neville uh, was on commentary and said, "Oh, he's asking to be taken off." Remember, he it yeah. was like six nil or something, and they were kicking off, and and Fernandez is asking to be taken. Oh, this is terrible. He wasn't, you know. He's he. <laughs> I don't know what he's maybe he's saying to the bench. What are we? What exactly do you want us to do? It's five nil or six nil or whatever. But like that's an example, I think of. People jumping to conclusions about a player who, well, and I, you know, I think he's more sinned against than sinning. You've made your case there, Ken. Thanks, grammar guys. Uh, thank you. Thank you too, uh, associate member pending <laughs> approval. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you fancy hearing more from Ken during the week, secondcaptains.com is a place to sign up. All episodes are ad free for World Service members, and the Second Captains podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Let's fucking get it. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. 
so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 